Hey everybody and welcome back to Pucks and Pages. My name is Steven, that is my lovely wife as always, Liberty. We're a married couple with different interests and we try to drag each other into our hobbies by discussing the latest news in both books and sports. Today is the sports episode. It's going to be a little bit behind the times because we are recording a day early since we're going on vacation at the end of next week. Your schedule's a little messed up, so... We're recording early, it's going to come out on the normal days, and then the next week we won't have an episode. As well, we're trying to power through this episode so we can watch OU Texas. I know that's not a big thing everywhere in the United States, but here in Texas, and from where you're from in Oklahoma, it's kind of a religion. You almost had a fight with someone while we were getting breakfast this morning, so um, (laughs) yeah, it's a little bit of a big deal here. Yeah, to say the least. So we're going to power right on through, starting with the NHL. I know you found some COVID updates for the NHL. We'll call it update because it's realistically just one thing. But uh, obviously last week we had another province announce that they're accepting full capacity for their stadiums for major sporting events. This week, the Ontario uh, provincial government has announced that they will also allow full stadium capacities for all professional sports events with the requirement of a proof of vaccination. Well, I can get behind that. So the Raptors will finally be back at home in Toronto to a full stadium rather than like their weird like 10 to 15 percent they had last season. So yeah. I'm sure they're excited to finally have their home court back. I really just appreciate the fact that they're taking it seriously enough to demand vaccination proof for people coming in. Because here in the U.S., we have the backbone of a chocolate eclair. We want you to be vaccinated. We want you to wear a mask. But you can do these 12 other things instead if you would like. Because we're worried about your freedom and not worried about, you know, everyone's health. Right. So I don't mind the fact that they're going to full stadiums. I appreciate the fact that they want a proof of vaccination. Yeah, it's definitely a step in the right direction. I think you see some stadiums here in the U.S. that are also requiring negative tests and proof of vaccination. So it's still like there's spots of good glory here in the U.S. still when it comes to trying to prevent the spread of this. But at the same time, like as a sports fan, I want to be back in a stadium. I will be wearing my mask, Yeah, but I will be back in the stadium enjoying games, which is something that I have missed thoroughly. Right. And this next week, we're only a week away from going to see live hockey for the first time in 18 months, 19 months, something like that. It's been a little while, that's for sure. So, like, I might cry just from seeing hockey again, and I might cry because of who we're seeing. So, like, who even knows? Yeah. But we'll keep on moving on to the player health. Uh, Edmonton Oilers forward Josh Archibald is out indefinitely after being diagnosed with myocarditis. Doctors are linking the heart issue to his fight with COVID-19 over the past summer. And this is one of those things that, like, all the people who are like, well, it only is really harmful for... People with disabilities or bad immune systems. Like, no, this is a freaking athlete. Yeah. He's in his, like, peak health before he got COVID, and now he's got this heart issue that he might be dealing with just for a few months or it might be his entire life. We don't know enough about COVID and, like, long-haul symptoms. He had no history of heart issues beforehand, obviously. Otherwise, this wouldn't be a big deal. But it's like, guys, it's not just a bad version of the flu. Like some people compare it. I'm like, the flu doesn't usually leave you with side effects forever. Right. So, and then this one was a 
interesting piece of news because I think it's the first time in a while I've seen any player take advantage of the assistance program from the NHL or NHL Players Association. So the Canadians have announced that Carey Price will be taking a leave from the team and taking part in the NHL, NHL Players Association Player Assistance Program. His wife then came out and tweeted that she said, more along the lines of, we're really lucky to be in the situation where Kerry, who has come up on a time where he needs a mental health break from the spotlight and the sport itself, that they're under the privilege of being able to do that. And they're using it kind of as like a speaking point where, you know, we need more mental health programs to support people when they do have situations like Carrie Price, who has been battling mental health through his whole career. It's right. just, you know, he he's taken breaks before and it's never really been explained why. But everybody kind of knew that there was something going on and his wife kind of put it out there like, this is what it is. Yeah. And, and used it as a good option a to be proud of her husband support him for what he decided to do and then b also go we need more of these programs for other people it's not it shouldn't just be for athletes right it shouldn't be for people who have the privilege of being able to take the time off from work and still be able to live their life i think it's something that everyday people are gonna need especially as covid goes on like you gotta think that the doctors and the nurses are dealing with ptsd from seeing almost all of their patients dying if they've made it onto the COVID floor. You know, what about teachers and students? And like, there are a lot of people who are going to be struggling, especially now with their mental health, and they need the opportunity to take the time to handle their mental health, step out of the situation that is making their symptoms worse, and get a handle on everything. And then not have to deal with like crushing debt or whatever from taking care of themselves. So this program is pretty regularly funded A, by the Players Association and the NHL, but whenever we talk about fines, that's where this money goes. Right, the emergency assistance fund for the players. Right, so like instances like this where people need it, like there were a couple players in the past in the NHL that had alcoholism problems and like that helped pay them a living wage while they were going through, you know, programs to clean up their act and that kind of stuff. Like it exists to aid the players when they really, really need it and this is clearly one of those situations so right senators also announced this week that senator colin white will miss four to six months after undergoing surgery next week to repair a dislocated shoulder that's got to be a bad dislocated shoulder if you're out for six months clearly something got torn or messed up yeah they haven't happened or when it got put back probably they haven't gone in quite that detail to that type of stuff yet but yeah i'm sure at some point when all the imaging comes back we'll probably hear more about it yeah. In the upcoming week. And the last injury we have is that Quentin Byfield was placed on injured reserve by the LA Kings on Wednesday because of a fractured left ankle. He is set to be out indefinitely, but he'll be reevaluated in the coming weeks. I'm sure we'll find out more about how bad it was and all of that fun stuff. And then we have a few signings. The first one is that. Jake Evans has agreed to a three-year, $5.1 million contract extension with Montreal Canadiens on Sunday, October 3rd. This has an AAV of $1.7 million. And then Alex Gelchenyuk signed a one-year contract with the Arizona Coyotes on Wednesday, October 6th. The contract is valued at $750,000. So the league minimum? Yeah, we kind of figured that was coming because Gelchenyuk's been kind of on a two-year slide where it's just been not the normal performance from him, so... Right. 
you had to expect money was going to also take a slide on the new contract. Then we had Tyler Ennis signing a one-year contract for a little over the league minimum. His is for $900,000 with the Ottawa Senators, and they signed the deal on Thursday, October 7th. But let's all be honest, the biggest signing this week was definitely Alexander Barkov. Well, I mean, it looks like it's the most money. It definitely seems to be. It's an eight-year contract extension with the Panthers. Uh, he signed it on Friday, passed one October 8th. AAV of $10 million. What's crazy about this contract is one of the first like weird signing bonus things I've seen in a while in the NHL. Okay. $70 million of the $80 million was given to him when he signed the dotted line. So what, he's getting about $1 million a year after that? Ba- basically, mm. <laughs> yes. Weird. But he's taking the $70 million up front, which is, is weird. I think that might be something that they wanted because they don't think they're going to play out their full contract, so they want as much money up front as possible. That's all I can think. I just wonder how it's going to work cap hit because the AAV is still technically $10 million. Right. Because the contract is $80 million for the period of time, so it's just like... I'm just glad I don't have to do the budgets for these teams because I don't understand how most of it works. It's a mess. It is. Yeah. In other news, Curtis McElhinney. McElhinney. That's the one. Yep. Sure, that's not what it looks like at all. (laughs) Has retired from the NHL after 13 seasons. The 38-year-old goalie won the Stanley Cup each of the past two seasons with the Tampa Bay Lightning as the backup to Andre Vasilevsky. He was selected by the Calgary Flames in the sixth round of the 2002 NHL draft, and he played with the Tampa Bay Lightning, Carolina Hurricanes, Toronto Maple Leafs, Columbus Blue Jackets, Phoenix Coyotes, Ottawa Senators, Anaheim Ducks, and the Calgary Flames. So it feels like he's been just about everywhere. He's been about everywhere as a backup. Right, right. Call what it is. At least I mean, he was... technically he got two cups, so like... Yeah. Do you care? That's more than most people can say. The big news for him, like, at least he was never that guy that was going up and down between the NHL and AHL, which is, I feel like, the worst situation you can be in as a goalie because it's like, ah, you're not quite good enough to be number two all the time. So, you know, there's that for him, I guess. The Calgary Flames forward Blake Coleman has been suspended for one preseason game and one regular season game without pay for boarding Winnipeg Jets forward Jansen Harkins. That's not a hard one to get. I don't know why you're looking at me looking for like It could be Janssen. I don't know. (laughs) During the preseason game in Winnipeg on Wednesday, October 6th, under the terms of the CBA and based on his average annual salary, Coleman will forfeit $24,500. Going to probably pay Carey Price. But I think that pretty much wraps up the NHL. It was kind of a shorter week because it's just preseason. The normal season does start this week, so things are about to be wheels off. I'm ready. I'm excited. But to continue on with the NFL, we'll start with a little bit of player health. The Chicago Bears running back David Montgomery is expected to miss four to five weeks after tests revealed he suffered a knee sprain in last week's game against the Lions. I'm a little sad to lose him just because he's one of those guys that takes a little pressure off the quarterback because you never know if he's going to just grab the ball and run for 30 yards. Right. So having a rookie quarterback behind the center, it's kind of like that's normally a guy you want to be healthy when you have a rookie quarterback. Takes a little bit of the pressure off. I mean, four to five weeks doesn't sound like a lot, but when you only play one game a week, that's a decent amount. Yeah. It's a pretty big chunk of the season. Yeah. 
And then an interesting one, speaking of OU, Baker Mayfield, the ex-OU quarterback, currently the quarterback for the Browns, partially tore his labrum in his non-throwing shoulder during the Week 2 game against the Texans. He's expected to be wearing a shoulder harness during games until the injury has healed. So is he still playing? Yes. Also, of course the ex-OU player got hurt playing Texas. Yep. The Texans. Yeah. He basically said that the reason he had such a bad performance in week three was because he wasn't wearing the harness. So, like, I guess there was just pain in his shoulder from that tear. Go figure. But he's saying during practice this week, the harness didn't affect his abilities at all. So he's prepared to play this week. And then I think this is the most interesting injury I've heard about in a while. Russell Wilson suffered a hand injury when his hand clipped Rams defensive tackle Aaron Donald on the follow-through of a throw during Thursday night's loss to L.A. He returned for one more possession following this injury, but he couldn't grip the football to throw it. The x-rays have all come back negative, which is why this is a little weird. And he's set to undergo an MRI for his hand and to follow up with a hand specialist in L.A. Yeah, and then his... MRI actually did come back showing that he had a ruptured tendon in his middle finger of his throwing hand. Ruptured is such a violent word. Especially in something as like small as a finger, I feel like it's kind of an important thing to be where it's supposed to be. I feel like you'd lose your hand. That's not what happens, but it sounds like it would. But he's expected to miss six to eight weeks after undergoing surgery this past Friday, so yesterday. Yeah. But... It went, it's so weird the diagnosis for it because at first it was like, it's just a sprained finger. But like when you saw it, it was like, like a hook, like a hook like finger. And I'm like, dude, there's no way that's a sprain. Yeah. There's something wrong there. He either broke it or there's tendons jacked up or something. Like, you just don't suddenly develop a claw and it's nothing. (laughs) Right. And we had a couple of trades this past week. The Bears have acquired wide receiver Yakeem Grant. I was going to say Jakeem Grant. But I, I've never heard of this guy before this trade, so... Well, your team has him now. I, I literally went to my boss, who's a Dolphins fan, and I'm like, is this guy any good? And he goes, I don't even know who he is. And I'm like, great. Oh, no. I'm like, Well, cool. I mean, the best part, I guess, for you guys then, since you picked him up from the Dolphins, you only had to give up a 2023 sixth round pick. So, like, sounds like that's about the right price for this guy if no one knows who he is. Right. We'll see how he does. He's going to be playing for us tomorrow, so they're throwing him right into the lineup. He must be good enough, so it's like... Or your team's that bad. Well, we're in a sticky situation, that's for sure, so... And then there was another trade that happened that sounds almost exactly the same. So the Panthers have acquired cornerback Stephon Gilmore in a trade with the Patriots in exchange for a 2023 sixth-round pick. It's weird for me to say, but for once, the Patriots had a lot of over-the-top depth in the cornerback position. So it's not that he's a bad player. They just just had too much. They have too many, and it was just kind of like, here, take this guy. And Stephon Gilmore, honestly, I was hoping the Bears were going to get involved because the Patriots were originally planning on cutting him and just waiving his contract. And I was like, go get him, Bears, go get him. But then they traded him, like, literally hours from when they said they were going to cut him. Yeah. So I'm like, man, like down to the wire. But I guess the Panthers were willing to take on the contract, so. And the Packers have agreed to terms on a one-year deal with former Cowboys linebacker Jalen Smith. Jalen Smith? Sure. Yeah. It's okay. It's too early. I'm under-caffeinated, and I don't want to be here. (laughs) Yeah. 
And I couldn't find any financial terms of this deal, so who knows how much money he's worth. So it's a weird situation. He got cut by the Cowboys in week two, and people were kind of wondering what where he was going to land. He's a good player, but again, the Cowboys are in the same situation where they had plenty of linebackers to go around that didn't need another one. So he had a large contract, so cutting him allowed them to free up a little bit of cap space in case they want to make a move later in the season, so... And the Jets have signed defensive lineman John Franklin Myers to a four-year $55 million extension with $30.2 million guaranteed. That's too much guaranteed money. Not for one of their most crucial pieces on their defense. Like the, I don't care. That's too much. The Jets are the Jets, I guess. It's like the Mets are the Mets. They're just they're going to self-destruct, and they always do. So it's just one of those situations where... You better keep the good guys around, otherwise you're really going to struggle. But there was some other NFL news. Uh, this week, Tom Brady overtook Drew Brees to become the NFL's all-time passing yards leader. He finished the game with 80,560 passing yards. That puts him about 110 yards ahead of Drew Brees, which obviously doesn't make a difference because Drew Brees retired last year, so it's pretty much Tom Brady's title now. Yeah. As well this week, the Chicago Bears have announced that Justin Fields is the team's new quarterback one for the remainder of the season. The weird thing about this is his parents invited him out to go celebrate with him and his family in Chicago. And he was like, no, I'd rather sit and watch tape with Andy Dalton. So, like, he's like, I got to prepare for the next game. I'm the new quarterback one. Like, I'm not going to go out and party when I should be focused on what I need to do. And I was like, that is the right response. As a Bears fan, I'm like, yes, I support this. Yeah. We'll see how he does as his first official QB1 start tomorrow. So that's exciting news. He sounds a bit like a stick in the mud. He sounds like he's going to be hopefully a franchise quarterback. We'll Who see. is also a stick in the mud. Who cares if he's a stick in the mud if he's playing the game well. But that, again, wraps up the NFL, and we're moving on to your favorite, the MLB. No one's favorite. Which I agree. We talked about this morning. You it's deserve no a re- one's favorite. No, that oh. you deserve a reward for having more MLB notes than I had, so I'm impressed. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, there were a couple signings this week. The Colorado Rockies announced that they have signed first baseman C.J. Crone to a two-year contract extension worth $14.5 million. That number means nothing to me. Is that a lot of money? Is it not a lot of money? Um, Is it in the middle of the road money? I would say it's like upper middle money. It's not bad. It's pretty okay. good. Obviously, in comparison to the NHL, that's a lot of money. Yeah. The Rockies also got a little busier with the signing this week. They signed pitcher Antonio Senzatella to a five-year extension worth $50.5 million. The contract also includes a team option for a sixth season. Not too bad. It has an AAV of $10.1 million. Yep, not a, not a bad contract. But the MLB playoffs have kicked off this week. It's not looking good for my White Sox right now. The Astros came back from a 4-2 deficit and just clobbered us yesterday 9-4, which puts them two games to none in the best of five series, which means coming back home, there's every chance that they knock us out, and that's that's it. Uh, you also had game one yesterday of the Braves-Brewers series, and Milwaukee came out winners of that one 2-1, to one, uh, so they lead the series 1-0. You have the Red Sox pulling back yesterday. Boy, Five-run first inning against their ace, Chris Sale, which I was shocked to see the Tampa Bay Rays come out and do. But the Red Sox came back to win the game 14-6. So good good on them. The series is tied 1-1. 
And then we had the first game of the Dodgers-Giants series yesterday. Uh, the Giants won that 4-0 to and are up 1-0 to in the series. But that was your super quick playoff wrap-up. So I appreciate that. Week. Yeah, Still was too long. And this is a bit of news that I'm kind of happy about, and I don't normally, like, one of those guys that's like, yay, somebody's retiring. But umpire Joe West announced he'll be retiring after 44 years of being a major league umpire. He finished his career having been an umpire in 5,345 regular season games, four wildcard games, 33 division series games, 60 league championship games, and 34 World Series games. Also, three all-star games. Boy, get that out of there really quick. He also ended his career with the most people ejected across his career as an umpire with 192. I feel like you don't want this stat. Most coming since the beginning of his 2004 season, which has averaged double digits since that period of time. That's crazy. As somebody who's had players on the receiving end of some of Joe West's rage throwing out of people in games. That's how English works. Yep. Yeah, uh, it's it's rough. Like I'm I'm glad that he's gone. He's also made some bad calls in his day. Uh, Detroit Tigers pitcher was one out away from a perfect game. This was before we had the ability to challenge calls, and he made a bad call at first base, and a runner got on base and that ruined sucks. the perfect game. Yeah, he was out by a step and a half. Joe West called him safe. But I think I remember hearing that the umpires in the MLB make more calls than any other sport. Sport. Oh, yeah. Without a doubt. So, like, of course he's going to have a lot because in the sport, no matter who you are, you're going to have a lot of bad calls. Yeah. So, I don't know. Obviously, the challenge era has only existed now for about three seasons in the MLB. They were one of the last sports to really, like, bring that ability to the game. So... Baseball is already so slow, so I can understand not wanting challenges. There's a fun statistic about that, by the way. The game average length increased by 10 minutes average this year. So, Do you think it's because they've started looking for sticky substances? or That challenges all sorts of things. But yeah, the, the inspections between every inning are probably pretty much the causes of that, I yeah. would imagine. And then we had some firings after the retirings. Uh, The New York Mets have announced the release of manager Luis Rojas. He finished his stint in New York with a record of 103 and 119. So a losing record. Yeah. I mean, not by a lot, considering how many games, but still. Yeah. On average, 162 games a year, so he took over on the shortened season last year because of COVID. So his numbers look a little light on games because of that. Uh, the San Diego Padres have also parted ways with their manager, Jace Tingler. His record what a name. As what the, a name. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> his record as the Padres skipper was 116 and 106. Hey, that's a winning record. Yes, but the problem is it's not a winning enough record to be a good coach in the in National League West. For obvious reasons, you had two teams that finished with over 100 wins in one season. Right, right. You need to step up your game if you're going to play in that league. A 1911 autographed photo of shoeless Joe Jackson set a record by selling for $1.47 million at an auction in New York. The photo was part of a 246-piece collection called Extra Innings, a private collection of important baseball memorabilia. It was the most ever paid for an autographed sports photo. 
Some other items auctioned off included a Babe Ruth bat with eight home run notches that went for $1,050,000. A 1925 Lou Gehrig autographed rookie exhibit postcard that sold for $687,500. And a 1952 Joe DiMaggio autographed handwritten letter to Marilyn Monroe that sold for $525,000. That's very much a Joe DiMaggio thing. (laughs) I'm sorry, like, truly. (laughs) Um, But the rest of them, those were all really kind of cool items. I feel like the Babe Ruth bat would literally notched in for the home runs that he hit with that bat. Right. That is a piece of history right there. That's why it went for so much money. Absolutely. But there was also another auction that has happened within the past week or so. Memorabilia from the Major League Baseball Field of Dreams game was auctioned off to raise money for a cancer center in eastern Iowa. The auction included game-worn apparel like batting helmets and throwback jerseys from both teams and ended up raising $215,000 for Mercy One Dubuque Cancer Center. Among the highest-selling items was the jersey of Yankees outfielder Aaron Judge for $33,590. I'm not shocked. I feel like I know this name. Yeah, he's one of the bigger names for sure on that roster. I would say like the only one that really compares to it would be like Giancarlo Stanton, but like those two are definitely the most recognizable names for yeah. the Yankees. And this next one, I'm hoping you can maybe lend some sort of uh, background to this information because I don't know that much about it, but apparently it's causing a stink in the MLB. Pete Rose, who received a lifetime ban from the MLB in 1989 after an investigation determined that he bet on games, including with the Cincinnati Reds, while he was the manager. So, of course, now he is launching a gambling podcast called Pete Rose's Daily Picks, which will drop new episodes six days a week. The podcast will include all sports and not just baseball. He said that he knows how it looks and that people will criticize him. But he also says, but it's not gambling, it's handicapping. I'm a handicapper. None of that makes sense to me. So I'll tell you a little bit about the history of Pete Rose. So as He a, sounds gross. As a manager, no, actually overly confident. So unlike a lot of athletes who bet and throw games for their team to win money, Pete Rose only bet on his team to win. Okay. So... I've always been like, I get it, you shouldn't be gambling on games with your own team. But he wasn't trying to throw games. He wasn't betting on them to lose. He only bet on them to win. So it's like, I don't see the problem with that that much. Like, I get it, it's frowned upon. And baseball is very much one of those, like, follow the old classic rules of the game type sport. But at the same time, it's like, what's wrong? He's not throwing games. He's not betting on his team to lose. He's only betting on his team to win games. And he lost money doing a lot of it. So it's like, what harm has come of this? He's a, a man betting on a sports game. like. But aren't you not supposed to bet on the sport if you work in the sport? Like as a manager, as a coach, as a player? Like as a whole, I feel like that's very like gross. Ethically, sure, but there's actually no written rule in the game of baseball that says he can't. And that's why it's like, lifetime ban? For what? What did he do? He didn't break any of the cardinal sin rules, so it's like... I feel like even if it's not a rule in a rule book, it's like an unspoken sort of thing. 
Like you're not supposed to. Well, and that's the sport of baseball. There's unspoken rules that exist and have existed forever. And so that's why he clearly caught the ban. Right. But it's just like, I don't, I don't see the harm in betting for your team to win games. Like you're confident that your coaching and players' capabilities are going to win. It's not like, man, my team sucks. I know they're going to lose this one. Like, so I, I see both sides of it. I see Pete Rose's side of it. I see where the MLB's ethics is coming in for it. But like, like he was one of the greatest coaches in the game, and you stripped him of all that because he bet on his team to win things. I don't, I, I don't know. It just seems like a weird gray area to me. But that's just because I'm a competitive person, and if I knew I was going to win something, I would absolutely bet on me to win the thing. So, like, I don't know. It just feels gross yeah. to me. And, and that's the two perspectives that exist in the world about it. So, But now you're educated on who Pete Rose is. I still think he sounds like a... I can't come up with a word that's not a cuss word. <laughs> Moving on. Okay. The 2021 Hank Aaron Award finalists have been announced this week. The award recognizes the most outstanding regular season offensive performer in each league since we have the American League and the National League in one league, which makes no sense. But anyway, baseball fans have the opportunity to help select the winner of this award by voting online on the MLB website. That's only a percentage of like how this gets chosen because they do have a whole like committee that does all the voting and chooses, but... You can help make that decision by going onto the website and voting for one player from each league. It's exciting. If you say so. Yeah. The American League nominees are Cedric Mullins from the Baltimore Orioles. I'm, I'm just confused why anybody from the Orioles even got nominated, considering they lost over 100 games this season. How much offense did he provide? <laughs> Clearly not enough. They also had Jose Ramirez from the Cleveland Indians. Salvador Perez from the Kansas City Royals. Shohei Otani from the LA Angels. Nailed it. Did I? You did. I thought you were being sarcastic. No, you totally nailed it. And honestly, when I saw it on the list, I was like, well, here we go. (laughs) But you nailed it right on the head. And then Aaron Judge, who we were just mentioning earlier from the New York Yankees. Matt Olson from the Oakland Athletics. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. from the Toronto Blue Jays. Considering he's dad won the award twice, I wouldn't be shocked to see him have a chance for it. But I don't know that it's this year. Maybe next year. I don't think just because your daddy won the award, I I don't think you should get it just for that. Yeah. For the National League nominees, we have Freddie Freeman from the Atlanta Braves, Nick Castellanos from the Cincinnati Reds, Bryce Harper from the Philadelphia Phillies, Fernando Tatis Jr. from the San Diego Padres, Brandon Crawford from the San Francisco Giants, Paul Goldschmidt from the St. Louis Cardinals, and Juan Soto from the Washington Nationals. It's a pretty good, well-rounded group in the National League. Like, there's a lot of offense. And semi-pronounceable names. Yeah, easier names because you've talked about them probably before. But that pretty much wraps up the MLB just because we have the playoffs going on right now. You'll start to see more and more awards rolling out in the next week or two, realistically, which I'm sure you're excited for, like the Gold Glove Awards and all that fun stuff. Oh, yeah, I love when we talk about those things and the episode goes on forever. It's the best. (laughs) But moving on to the NBA, which I know is your next favorite sport. The Lakers forward Trevor Ariza has undergone a procedure on his right ankle. He is expected to make a full recovery and will be reevaluated in approximately eight weeks. 
And then Toronto Raptors' Chris Boucher will be out three to four weeks after dislocating a finger in his left hand during a preseason game. So, yeah, that's not too bad, though. It's not that long. That's for sure. Now, I know this name I will need help with because I feel like I'm missing a letter here. Do you want to take a stab at it or do you want me to just say it? Pau Gasol? Definitely not. All right. (laughs) Wrong on both fronts. Pau Gasol. He's Spanish. I I feel like that last name wasn't so bad. Yeah. (laughs) But he's retired from basketball on Tuesday, October 5th. The Lakers are reportedly planning to hang up number 16 for him. He was acquired by the Lakers at the trade deadline in 2008 and has won two NBA titles with the team, 2009 and 2010, and he last played in the NBA with the Bucks in 2019. He had been with Spanish club Barcelona since February, and his career had stalled before that because of a left foot stress fracture that lingered and kept him from playing for nearly two years. So it sounds like his body wanted to retire. Well, he's also a bigger guy, just to clarify. Like, he was mostly played center, so, like, a tall, big dude. Yeah. And jumping up and down on a stress fracture anywhere is not good, especially full body weight coming back down. I can understand that, like, it's, like, time to call it. Yeah. Just let it heal finally and then take your time enjoying life because you made millions. He made millions and millions and millions of dollars. Not even counting the money he made for winning the two championships because the Lakers pay a pretty penny for championship wins. Right. So Plus, when it comes to your feet, that just kind of goes on to affect your full body. Forever, yeah. It'll affect your knees and then your hips and then your back, and it just keeps going up. And this one I thought was a little uh, unexpected, maybe? Yeah and no. Like, there's the NBA and the NFL both for years been contemplating not including this as a test but, like, it's because it's in a lot of states now it's legalized, so. So, obviously, we're talking about marijuana. Right. So, the NBA has agreed to not randomly test players for marijuana this season. This is a continuation of the policy that was put in place last year for the COVID, like, little restart bubble that they had, and it's remained since then. Drug testing is going to continue for things like human growth hormone, performance enhancers, and other things that are considered drugs that aren't marijuana. Right. Decriminalizing marijuana has been a major topic at the government level in the U.S. for years, but it's also sort of becoming a topic in the sports world because more than half of the states in the U.S. have decriminalized possessing small amounts of marijuana. So, like, half of your country it's okay, but the other half it's not. Like, that's very much how U.S. politics work anyway, but... It's sort of something that I feel like sports are finding it hard to enforce. It wasn't a question of enforcing because it was against their policies. They definitely enforced it with like an iron fist. But the reality of it is, is it's not a performance enhancing drug by any means. Right. Anybody that smokes marijuana will tell you it's not. So it's like, what's the point? What's the concern? You know, don't get me wrong. Like you don't want them lighting up on the sideline because that (laughs) looks bad for like the league, but like. If they're in the privacy of their own home, who the hell cares? Right, right. And this is sort of something that people in the military are going to understand because when you're in the military, you operate by, like, federal guidelines and, like, marijuana is not legal federally. So when you're in the military, 
you're not allowed to smoke marijuana because it's illegal federally, which means it's illegal for you in particular. Yeah, because you're federal property. Right. And so I feel like it was sort of similar to that when they were testing for it, but now they've sort of broken that barrier down for people. So I don't know how to feel about it because, like, it's not enhancing their performance, but at the same time, like, it's not legal everywhere. So I feel like that could lead to people smoking marijuana in places where it's not legal, but sports aren't testing you for it, so you kind of are fine. I don't know. It's definitely an interesting gray area right now. Just, like, federally make it all okay, and then we won't have any of these, like, gray areas. Right. Says someone who does not smoke marijuana, so. (laughs) I have no horse in this race. But discussing something that is illegal across the board, no matter where you are, 18 ex-NBA players were charged on Thursday, October 7th with pocketing around $2.5 million illegally by defrauding the league's health and welfare benefit plan in a scam that involved claiming fictitious medical and dental expenses. The ex-players teamed up to defraud the supplemental coverage plan by submitting fraudulent claims to get reimbursed for medical and dental procedures that never happened. The indictment said that the scheme was carried out from at least 2017 to 2020. It might have been going longer than that. When they received false claims totaling about $3.9 million over the three-year period. Of that... The defendants received about $2.5 million in fraudulent proceeds. And as I read more and more about it, it all gets really like gross and sketchy from there because you had one player who was like the one coercing other people into doing this as well as he himself doing it. But he was getting kickbacks from the other players by providing the doctors and people, dentists, who would sign off on these fraudulent claims. And so like... Not only was he making his own false claims, but then he was getting 10% of what the other players were getting. So it almost looks like a pyramid scheme. Of fraud. Of fraud. Yeah. And it it just got really weird the longer the article went on, so I kind of got grossed out and just stopped. So, like, there were some big names involved in this. Tony Allen was probably going to be a Hall of Famer. I would imagine now he's probably not going to be included on that list, especially after the fact that he was part of this investigation and charged to refund $3.9 million that he scammed away from the NBA. And, like, with that much money, obviously the feds got involved, and so, like, it's just this really big problem that's happening. Yeah, it's it's ugly. Tony Allen was probably the biggest name. You had Sebastian Telfair, and then one that you'll like, Ronald Glenn Big Baby Davis was another one of the players. But, yeah, there were about four players that, Basically submitted claims for about $4 million, roughly, 3.9. Yeah. And then the rest of them were for about, like, 2.5. But that's still a lot of money when you think there's 18 people involved. Like, yeah. that's a lot of money being defrauded, so. That's why they're doing it. Yeah. They want a lot of money. Well, most of them are probably going to see jail time and or money being refunded as well. So it's like, right. hopefully you still have enough money to pay it because otherwise they're going to seize your assets. and They're going to seize assets. I can almost guarantee it. Yeah, it's so going to happen. It's not going to get better, that's for sure. But moving on to the soccer world. I know you have a little bit of MLS news, and since it's international break, I don't have a lot of soccer news, but I do have one pretty big piece of Well, big news. for you. I would say for the Premier League, period, but... We'll see. Yeah. In the MLS, I have two things that have happened this past week. 
The first one being that FC Cincinnati has hired a new GM. Former MLS player Chris Albright retired from playing in 2013 after 15 seasons with the league and will now step into the GM position. He joined the Philadelphia Union in January 2014 as their technical director has since obviously moved on to Cincinnati. Cincinnati is currently at the bottom of the standing, so I'm not surprised that they are trying to rework in-house stuff. The club's president, Jeff Birding, said that their search for the next GM was extensive. They were talking about looking for someone who, quote, knew what was required to win in MLS, and they felt that they had found the best person for the job, so obviously they hired him. Yeah, so being a technical director, you're more like the statistic guy as to yeah. like what player with the most passes and accuracy and things like that in certain positions is the best to play against certain teams. Like the guy breaks everything down, as you like to say it, Barney style statistically. So like he's going to be good at the GM role because he knows what players and pieces he needs to move into certain places to complement other players that also play based on the way this other person plays. It's, it's a lot of crap to go on in your brain, but like... He probably is the right guy to be a GM, realistically. Well, in 15 seasons is a lot, so I feel like that would make sense. Yeah. But also this week, the MLS has announced that it will hold the 2022 All-Star Game at Allianz Field in St. Paul, Minnesota. The MLS All-Star Game is set to take place on August 10th, 2022. It will be broadcast on ESPN and Univision in the U.S., and... TSN and TVA Sports in Canada. Minnesota United began playing in the league in 2017, and their 19,600-seat venue opened its doors in 2019. In addition to being the home of Minnesota United FC, Allianz Field has hosted several international events, so it's not weird that they were one of the options for this. And the opponent for this game will be announced at a later date. As the MLS likes to do, it'll probably be against an international club of some sort. Obviously, they've played like Bayern Munich in the past, Manchester United, Manchester City, uh, Real Madrid. So, like, it's just, we'll see who it is when it finally comes up. We know MLS teams like to play international clubs. We went and watched LAFC play Borussia Dortmund, so, like, it's a pretty common thing. Yeah. But on to the international soccer news. Obviously, we have World Cup qualifiers going on all over the world. If you really want to deep dive in that, just let me know and I will break it all down for you guys. Maybe do a short like little YouTube video or something. But there's a lot going on and I would rather spare your ears and not give you all that information right now. And spare your wife. Yeah. Thank you. But we do have some big news out of the Premier League still this week. Uh, it kind of came out of nowhere. So, like, if you remember, I was talking to you. I'm like, hey, in the next 48 hours, there's a chance that this deal is going to be done because both the Premier League and Newcastle United and the PIF have come together to finally make an agreement to work on this. Also, last week we had the big announcement that Saudi Arabia was going to allow BN Sports to be broadcasted in the kingdom, uh, which was part of the big issue that the Premier League had because BN is owned by Qatar, and Qatar is one of the biggest sponsors in the world of soccer everywhere, for that matter. So, like, it's not a shock that the Premier League was like, no, 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 no. If you're going to steal all these games and broadcast them illegally in your country, we can't support you as buying one of our clubs. Like, that just, it's an issue for obvious reasons. Right. A big-time conflict of interest. But that announcement came last week for BN Sports, 
And so this week, go figure, it's back on the table. So the deal ended up getting done this week, and it ended up being about 400 million U.S. dollars for the organization to be purchased. But it is a Saudi-led consortium, mostly invested by the Public Investment Fund, or PIF, which invests on behalf of the Saudi Arabian government and its people. So basically, this fund goes out, makes a bunch of money for the government outside of the country, shy of like whatever normal income they have from their GDP, and invests it back into public programs. So it's not a bad fund to exist. And like I get it, it's the Saudi Arabians, and they're kind of not the world's friends right now, especially after the whole Khashoggi thing that went down a couple years back. But like there's still controversy tied to it. The major clubs all reached out to the Premier League heads and called an emergency meeting that is happening on Monday. It's too late by Premier League bylaws to stop the purchase from it happening. So like there's really nothing that this emergency meeting is going to do other than like maybe make the teams feel at ease because like the deal's done, the contract's written, the new owners have already taken ownership. Like there's nothing that can stop it at this point. But the buyout does include Newcastle United Limited and Newcastle United Football Club. Limited being like all the youth organizations and things like that, as well as the the main team itself. So um, they'll be able to expand youth programs all over the world, which they have plans to do, which is kind of neat. You you know, like we have Dortmund doing their youth programs. You'd have something like that with Newcastle United and other major cities around the world, which I don't think is a bad thing. Funding youth programs is something that I think is important. But as a Newcastle United fan, I'm excited because the era of Mike Ashley is done. That man has tanked our team from just relegation twice because he didn't want to spend money those two years. And boy, we're on our way for a second, I guess, realistically, total. Um, And it's just, I'm happy it's done, to say the least. It is another billionaire player in the game of Premier League. And they've already announced that they have plans to pick a new coach. Our current coach has already said he knows he's getting fired. So things are going to get shaken up probably within the next couple weeks. I feel like he didn't need to say that. Well, he's started us off to one of the worst records we've ever had in the history of the Premier League. So his job was already in question. The buyout just kind of escalated it a little faster, I feel like. So we'll see what happens. Um, The owners of the PIF, uh, the heads of that organization, have already come out to say that within the next four to five years, they want to be contending for titles. So I'm excited to see what the future brings. I'm hoping sooner rather than later, but as long as we don't get relegated this year, I'll be content with the changes. So, But I think that pretty much wraps up all the sports stuff. Which is nice. I appreciate it. Make sure you guys are staying in contact with us on all of our social media, though, because we will be gone next week, but things will be happening during our vacation. We'll be posting many, many things. And I get to go see hockey live. Twice. In living color. Twice. Yes. Yep. It's very nice. Otherwise, guys, we'll see you later this week for our book episode on Thursday. And from there, then we'll see you in a couple weeks. So make sure you check out all of our social media in the show notes, and we will see you then. Bye, guys. Bye.